Hi, you're listening to Koldodi Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Join us in person for our weekly Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. We meet at 3534 West End Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website at koldodi.org or follow us on Facebook and watch us live at facebook.com forward slash Nashville. And now, here's Rabbi Ken's latest message. Faith without all the answers. I'm going to give that a, a title for today. Faith without all the answers, question mark, really. Uh, B'Av. Seven catastrophes that occurred on this holiday that are recorded by, according to Jewish sources, there are probably more. Father, we pray you open up our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. You speak to us now. Gal enayva avita niflaot me Torah techa b'shem Yeshua, Lord. We pray you make known your words to us, Lord, as we turn to your reproof, Lord. Thank you for that beautiful devotional uh, Jason shared earlier, Lord, for Messiah's remembrance, Lord, that we can look within and let you search our hearts, God, and know if any, there's any wicked way in us, Lord. As David said in Psalm 139, Lord, thank you, Lord, for a chance, this whole service, Lord, for a time for you to search us. And we pray, so speak to us now through your word. And for this holiday, Lord, when our people are mourning uh, these events, we pray for our people throughout the globe, Lord, that most of all, you would reveal to all of us and to our people who don't know our suffering Messiah, our Yeshua, Lord, who suffered for us in his atoning death some 2,000 years ago. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Seven catastrophes that occurred According to Jewish sources, 1313, I'll just give them real quick, 1313 B.C. or B.C.E., 10 spies, the 10 spies out of 12 returned with a a bad report, an evil report really, uh, to Moses about the land of Israel, and we refused to enter the land. As such, God God forced that generation to wander for 40 years and die in the Midbar, in the wilderness. That's recorded in Numbers 14. Then, of course, both temples were destroyed traditionally on this day of Tisha B'Av, 421 BCE, the first by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. 100,000 Jews killed during the invasion, exile of the remaining tribes in the southern kingdom to Babylon and Persia. And then uh, in 70 CE, the second temple by the Romans under Titus, over two and a half million Jews died as a result of that war through famine and disease as well. Over a million Jews exiled to all parts of the Roman Empire. Then in 1095, the first crusade declared by Pope Urban II, 10,000 Jews killed in the first month, death and destruction to thousands of Jews totally obliterating many communities in the Rhineland 
and France. You know, I know if we, we say, uh, does anti-Semitism still exist today? You know, it still does. Uh, it's, we, may, we may not see it here as much, although we were, we were contacted by the head of security, by Dove Gelman, uh, I hope I can say it, you know, just this week. Circulations left in this neighborhood just this week of anti-Semitic propaganda against Jews. Amazing, right in this neighborhood, you know, of all sorts of stuff. Most of all, usually takes the uh, form of anti-Zionism today, in, especially on, on campuses. <clears throat> but anyway, this was the first crusade, and this is why Jews are sensitive to the name of Christ and to, to Christianity because of unfortunately this history and we're you know we grow up in schools learning about it you know learning that Jews were called Christ killers and I experienced it when I I know personally when I was put my parents put me for and my sister just for I think my sister was yeah she was there for not as long as I was but in a private school for I think it was fourth and fifth grade uh fourth fifth grade then then it was so bad they put me you know very expensive school put me back in our public school, which was more Jewish, in our, it was very Jewish in our area, because of the bad experience. I remember being in a van, and the, the guy uh, was talking bad about the Jews in this van. I was in the back of the van once, and, but I experienced anti-Semitism, maybe the, for the first time in my life in that school, uh, you know, called Christ Killer, and, you know, and, um, and I had an experience because I was in a Jewish neighborhood, you know, before growing up, and, and hadn't really experienced it, but it, it's, it's still around, as we know, and Today, maybe especially in certain Orthodox areas, but they're getting it. But 1290, uh, the Jews were expelled from England, accompanied by pogroms and confiscation of books and property. 1492, more famously, the Inquisition in Spain and Portugal culminates in the uh, expulsion of the Jews from the Iberian Peninsula. Families were separated. Many died by drowning. Massive loss of property. 1492. We think of it as Christopher Columbus, but the Jews think of it as the Inquisition in Spain and Portugal. Both world wars began during, at this date, Tisha B'Av. 1914, in the morning of August 1st, Germany declared war on Russia, and that afternoon Russia declared war on Germany. With the war on Germany, Russia declared war on its own Jews with massive deportations, more than 300,000 Jewish civilian deaths. 1942, deportations from the Warsaw Ghetto to the Treblinka concentration camp began. In just 15 months, Treblinka was the second worst camp next to Auschwitz, you know, after Auschwitz. But in... But more killings, the killings were in much shorter span of time. In just 15 months, the Nazis murdered about 870,000 Jews there, um, whereas it took, I think, four or five years in Auschwitz over that time to kill over, over I think, almost two million, uh, but over, definitely over a million. <clears throat> 1994, then lastly, 1994, the bombing and building, uh, the building, rather, of the Jewish Community Center in Buenos Aires, Argentina, happened, killed 86 people and wounded 300 others. So all these tragedies happened supposedly on Tisha B'Av, according to Jewish sources. Maybe there's others, I don't know, but this is a day of mourning, but mostly Jewish people associate it with the, the destruction of the first and second temple when in Jewish life. And Orthodox Jews are fasting this day, and uh, it's a time to visit 
you know, many Jews visit cemeteries, and it's not a holiday. I grew up really, you know, observing personally, and most many Jews are not as familiar with it. But reasons given are given to try to answer the why of loss and suffering. And three reasons are generally given that we all think of, and they were given in Christianity as well as Judaism. Why? For why is there, why do we, does God allow loss, or why is there loss and suffering? Why does God allow? God, number one, God has a master plan. Basically, he knows what we don't. Number two, there will be rewards in the next world. Uh, In other words, it will all be worth it in heaven, uh, in the olam haba, or to use Judaism's term, the olam haba, the world to come. And then thirdly, another reason is given, it's the forces of evil. It's not really, it's not God's fault. It's, it's the forces of evil. I have a problem with that one, but we do live in a fallen, and a, I hope this isn't bad slang. I was trying to say, is this wrong to say? But we live in a screwed up world. We live in a really rotten, messed up world, you know? Um, and that's, that's just the reality of it. Things aren't going to get better ultimately, until Yeshua comes back. You know, it's nice to say, we talk about tikkun olam. I know in circles, you know, yes, we're, we're, to, we're to have an effect, we're to, but, we're not, but the world isn't going to be fully changed until Yeshua comes back and changes it. We, we doesn't, doesn't mean we shouldn't do things to make it better and to do everything, but, but it's not going to be until he comes back that it's made new and sin is dealt with. But the answer to all of this pain and suffering in the world, and this is what I really want to deal with, talk about a little this morning, is not, listen, it's not in distancing God from tragedy and suffering, saying that he has nothing to do with it. Now, that may be what we want to do because it's so painful. We just have to say, well, it's not God. It's not God. But we can't avoid the fact that he declares in Scripture, in Isaiah 45, verse 7, I form light and create darkness. I make shalom and create evil. And it is evil. It's ra in Hebrew. I, Adonai, do all this, all these. Tough verse. Nor is the solution in distancing ourselves from God and becoming bitter and hardened as a result. And we all know how that can happen. We all know people that, that has happened to them. Maybe it's you. People that become just distanced, to turn from God and become very hardened and bitter because of loss, because of tragedy. People who detach God from their suffering end up either with no faith or with a superficial, what I'll call a superficial of faith. People who engage and embrace God in their suffering end up with a saturated faith. In other words, we can have a pure faith or a cloudy faith. Our faith is not a tidy faith. The faith that we have as believers, it's not a tidy faith. Absent of doubt or thoughts of despair, but it's a tested non-judgmental faith, let me say it again, it's a tested faith, a non-judgmental faith. You come out of it, your 
out of suffering, non-judgmental of other people. And if it does anything, suffering will cause you to come out not judging other people and being and, the, and where you at judge, were quick to judge other people for things, you won't be anymore. It's a deep, messy, unorthodox, but ultimately a supernaturally victorious faith. It's the faith life of our Messiah, Yeshua, our Isaiah 53 suffering servant Messiah. Avdi, my servant, God said. My servant. Let's say Avdi. Avdi, he's my servant. Isaiah 52, verse 11. My servant, behold my servant. Isaiah 53, 12. My righteous servant, Avdi. Not a syrupy, skin-deep faith, but one that's full of struggle and conflict. I hate syrupy, skin-deep faith, don't you? I hate formulas and everything, making it sound like Christianity. It's so easy. It's so simple. It's just so, put it in your pocket. Put it in your, put it in your, put it all. It's so, it's not that way, folks. It's not that way. And it, it only works for a little while. The book of Lamentations, Echa. Let's say Echa. Very good. You just said the book of Lamentations in Hebrew, Echa. And the word means how, but it can also mean why. And it's the first word of the book, Echa. How? Why? It's traditionally read on this holiday. Notice that it's compiled in the writings in the Hebrew Bible, not after the prophet Jeremiah in the prophets, though he's most likely the author. In the heart of the book, I love this, and I I haven't thought it this way before, but I want you to think about this. In the heart of the book, we have one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture, and maybe in all poetic literature, and I mentioned this in the devotional I gave on the, uh, Friday for, on Devash Lafi on, in, uh, on Facebook. In chapter 33, verses 21 through 23, and I'll read the verses. This I recall to mind, right in the heart of, Jeremiah, of, of Lamentations 3. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Hebrew word is yachal, means I expect progress. I'm expecting progress. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. And the Lord's mercies is chesed. Let's say chesed. Chesed, favorite Hebrew word. Uh, It means complete covenant devotional. God's devotion to you. His chesed, his loyal covenant love. That's chesed. Devotion. Total. Because his compassions fail not. Because his compassions fail not. Racham is the word. For, let's say racham. Racham. Compassions. That's rechem is the womb of the woman. From where the baby's born. The, it's the mercy, maternal mercy of God. We call God our father, but he's also mother too, isn't he? I mean, he's everything, right? And God is, has the mother heart as well. He said, Racham, I love, I think of Racham and Rachamim as compassions, his mercy as his, the mother heart of God as well. You know, he's protecting uh, from harm like a mother does her child. They are new every morning, it says. Halashim labkarim. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Raba emunutecha. Great is your faithfulness. You could sing that song, right? Such a beautiful song. And this 
passage right in the heart of the most sorrowful book of mourning and, and lamenta- you know, of lamentations, of lamenting, of Israel is, is mourning over destruction and where everything's... And yet, that does not really encapsulate or summarize the book. But rather, listen, the book begins and ends in a conflict, in a struggle. The beginning of chapter 1 starts with Echa. And the end of chapter 5 ends with Ki'im. Ki'im. For if. For if. It's a question. It doesn't end with everything's great. It ends with maybe you're angry at us, God. What's going on? Wow. That's okay. Listen. Look at verse 1. Echa, how? The first word of the scroll. How lonely sits the city. And it says, usually translations have once so full of people, but the once so is not in the Hebrew. It's really just how lonely sits the city full of people. It's a statement. I I like that because it's a statement which is simultaneously a question. How? How sad? How could this have happened? Disaster. Defeat. We're defeated. Total shift in life. But the city's full of people. Wait a minute. But it's not. He sees it still full of people now, even though it no longer is. 2 Samuel 1, 25 and 27, the same word ech is used when he says, how the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. A sad statement of observation. Look, they've fallen. But it's also a question. How could this have happened? How could the mighty have fallen after Saul's Saul's death? How could he have fallen? It can also translate where. Where are you, God? Where are you in all this? Lamentations 1.3, he says, Judah has gone into exile. The Galut, you know, the Babylonian exile, the Galut, we say. From affliction. In, in, ani. And in Lamentations 1.12, he talks about ke'ov my, ke'ov, my suffering, my pain, my pain. Was the suffering due to Israel's sin? That's the question, isn't it? But does it really matter? Well, it matters in a way, but maybe it doesn't. Listen, prisoners in communist prisons for their faith and testimony felt We're told, Pastor Wormbrandt says, they felt that God was punishing them for their sins. He says, writing from prison, Wormbrandt writes, I have never known a man worse than me. The one who can free me prefers to keep me in prison as a punishment for my transgression. Samson was in prison because he had sinned. Although the Philistines had jailed him because of his noble fight for the Mosaic cause. I am a sinner, but I know that if I accept my punishment with wholehearted humility, my strength will grow. You know, he's being tortured, he's being drugged, he's being, when he's writing all this, he memorized like over a hundred sermons in prison, you know, and just wrote them when he got out. So that's unbelievable. He wrote tons of stuff. We don't know why God allows us to undergo suffering and tragedy. Hello? Hear me. 
We don't know why God allows us to go undergo suffering and tragedy. Sometimes he reveals, sometimes he doesn't. Jacob suffers for his rebellion. Joseph suffers for his obedience. Solomon suffers for his sinful choices. Daniel suffers for his righteous choices. David is an enigma. He suffers for both at different times, doesn't he? What about Job? What about Esther? We could look at all of them. What about Abraham? What about, oh my gosh, he lies. And then, what about Sarah? But then, but he, then Abraham trusts God. He looks at the stars and God says, so, so shall your seed be. I mean, but then other, he lies about Sarah's life to save his skin. I mean, what about Sarah? What about Peter? What about Paul and Mary and the singing group? No. <laughs> <What> about, <laughs> that's a really old singing group. <laughs> I didn't even listen to them. <laughs> Is the chastisement, the education, it really is in Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11, is it due to sin or is it training in righteous character? Or is it both? Is it really both? We interpret affliction and suffering and disaster as dis displeasure and dissatisfaction from God's hand when in fact... It is just the opposite. And I think we have to retrain our minds, which will enable us to reprogram our responses. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 says, The chastening of the Lord, the discipline of Adonai, my son, don't despise, nor detest, don't dread his correction. For whom the Lord, what? Loves not hates, loves, he corrects and reproves. And just as a father, the son or daughter, he delights in. Don't despise it when God restrains and sets limits on you, my son. That's the, he, how I would translate it from the Hebrew. Don't repel and resent his admonishing you. For Adonai is completely devoted to you, so is admonishing you as a father a son he favors or is satisfied with. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11 is really a midrash, a study on and a expounding on Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. Job 5, 11, 17 through 18 says, Behold, happy is the one whom God corrects, so don't despise the discipline of Shaddai, of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain, but he also binds up. He injures, yet his hands also heal. Praise the Lord. Return to the Lord, for he'll heal. he heals us, right? It's Hosea 6. It is good for me, Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me. It is bad for me? No. It is good for me that I have been afflicted in order that I might learn your statutes. No pain, no what? Gain, right? The athlete knows that. Thank you for your prayers. We won gold and brought back gold from, from last week, last Sunday. Thank you. It did work. And Talia's going to 
visitor, and her husband, Mike, Mike, who's a football player, former football player. They're, they're gonna, they were over our house last night, and we're, we're going to get them to service soon, so pray for them. And her daughter, Adi. And, uh, but it was, we fought really tough competition. We fought through it and brought back gold from um, Crossville. It was really fun. Um, no pain, no gain. Pain God sends is not bad. It's good. Uh, divine chastisement through afflictions are of greater benefit than success and wealth because they purify and they cleanse us from sin, increasing one's reward in the kingdom to come. So welcome, welcome it. Don't despise it because he loves us. He doesn't hate us. In order to direct us, the purpose is to direct us in the right path and prevent us from going the wrong one. The, we're to cherish suffering. The greater the suffering, the greater one is trusted and loved by his heavenly Father. I really be, have to believe that. The greater the suffering, the greater you, God is trusting you and loves you. And yet we, our minds think just the opposite. The greater God is against me. No, just the opposite. Retrain our minds. No, just the opposite. God trusts you. He trusts you with greater suffering because he loves you more. It's amazing. Hosea 6.1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has smitten, but he will bind us up. He will bind us up. Lamentations 5, if you look at chapter 5, verse 19, he says, You, Lord, are enthroned. Now he comes to the end. Look at the end of this, pat, this, this is the last few verses of the, the, of the book. You, Lord, are enthroned forever. You, your throne endures from generation to generation. Dor, Lador, Vador. Lador, Vador. Generation to generation. Ata Adonai Leolam Teshev. You, Lord, your throne is forever. Though they were in dire state due to their sin, the Lord was still on his throne. And he's on the throne. No matter what we feel like it, he's still on the throne. So he's saying that now. God is still ruling. But then in verse 20, he says, why do you always forget us and forsake us for so long? In other words, look at that. First he says, Lord, you're on the throne. But now he says, why are you always forsaken? So he said, but I'm still upset with you, God. You're on the throne. But now he says, I'm still upset. I have questions. I don't think you're fair. I don't think you're sensible. He's saying to God. And you know what? That's okay. Not only okay, but I think God likes it. God invites it. God would much rather have us interact than have us withdraw and pull away. Where there's interaction, he can, deal, he can, he can work with it. Work with us. Now in 521, he says, he goes back and says, bring us back. So I'm upset. Bring us back to you. Oh, I love this. Adonai. Hashivenu. Let's say Hashivenu. Hashivenu Adonai. Elecha. Bring us back to you, Adonai, and we will return. Vanashuv. We will return, he says. We will return. Then he says, Vanashuv. Renew our days as of old. The word shuv, to return, means to move backwards, to move backwards. So he's saying, okay, I need your help. 
I can't do it myself. It's not in me. It's not in me. God must take the initiative. That's what I hate messages. I always, when I'm listening to, listen, like we talk about what affects what we listen to, what we watch on TV, what we do on social media, it's going to affect us, right? And we have to be careful. Well, Francis and I, I'll just confess, we were watching a series. We started watching this series, and we, were just, we just both said, we have to stop watching it. It's just polluting it. It's not good. Listen, but you know what? That's true of Christian teaching, too, of preaching. You've got to be careful what you're listening to. It's going to affect you. If it's legalistic and it's harsh, you're going to become that way. You're going to come that way with your children, and you won't realize it. All of a sudden, because you were listening to something that was harsh and legal, and I don't mean, I don't mean harsh and you know, strong in a good way. I'm talking about without, that's not filled with grace, that's not filled with love. And now you find yourself being that way with your kids, and you say, I don't know why. Where, where did that come from? It came from what you were listening to, what you were feeding on. Make sure you're feeding on something that's centered in the love of God, the power of the Spirit, of, you know, that's balanced, wholesome, wholesome, you know. I, we, I could go more into that person. I'd love to tell you, talk to you about that. But I um, learned that for year, years ago, and I made those mistakes, believe me, you know. So the, when you're hearing something, someone's saying, repent, 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 if they better be saying it. You can be saying it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it can be right, or they can be saying it in the power of the flesh, the power of, you know, you have to do it in your power, you know, and it's not coming from, and you don't have, and it's not empowering you, it's actually making you rebel and wanting to do the opposite. Or it can be coming from the power of the Spirit where it's, it's because he says, I can't do it in myself. I can't do it in my own power. He says, that's why Romans 2, 4 says, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. The, the, kind, the good grace of God, the kindness of God leads us. Or Zechariah 1.3, thus says the Lord, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Where does it start with? The Lord saying. The Lord says. He's calling. He says, return to me. I'm the one initiating. Return to me. So now you respond to me and I'll respond to you. But who, who started it? God does. It starts with him. Always starts with him. And so... Lamentation ends, and I'll end with this, lamentation ends with a question, with an unresolved relational struggle here in verse 22. He says, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us, in the Hebrew is ki'im, ki'im. I won't have you repeat it, but it's ki'im, two words, for if. For if you totally despise and are angry with us very much, is how I would literally translate it. We're in limbo, he says. Are you angry with us? Is it our fault that all this has happened? And this is a reality for us, folks. We have promises of hope, chapter 3, amazing promises of hope. And yet we still live with serious question marks sometimes. And that's okay. It's okay. Lamentations 5, verses 19 through 22, almost sounds bipolar. (laughs) He's up, and he's down. He's exalting God, then he's accusing God, optimistically imploring God's help, but then sinking into potential defeatism. Do we have to have all the answers here to have in order to have faith? When under extreme duress, my mind does not know who or where the Lord is, and I have no evidence that he exists. 
It is then that I choose with my fellow heroes of faith to believe that he is love. To quote, believe, I'm quoting now, to believe that he is love, although at that, this moment I feel nothing of his love. I choose to believe in its expression in a sacrifice 2,000 years ago. In its expression in a sacrifice 2,000 years ago. I will not leave him or deny him, even if he leave me. Wormbrandt. He won't leave us. But he says, even if he did, I'm not leaving him. Is that awesome or what? I don't know if you can catch it. That's awesome. He won't leave us. But he says, even if he does, I'm not leaving him. Think about it. Father, we just thank you for the awesomeness of your faith. It's really the faith of Yeshua in us. We thank you, Lord, that we trust you, Lord. That we love you, Lord. We love you in First Peter, what is it? First Peter 1, 8, I think it is. Having not seen you, having not seen you, we, we love you. We love you, Lord. <laughs> and we thank you, Lord. We don't have to have all the answers, Lord, but we trust. We, we love you. All the answers here, because we know you are the answer. And, we'll, and all the answers are ultimately in you. And one day we will. And we praise you and we thank you for this wonderful book of Echa, B'Shem Yeshua. If you've, never, if you've never come to faith and you've struggled this morning, you've struggled, you've, been, you've had a struggle with loss and suffering and pain, and you've distanced yourself, you've maybe withdrawn from God, maybe you've distanced yourself from God or from Him from you, come to Him right now. His arms are welcoming you. He loves you. He hasn't given up on you, even if you gave up on him. He's never given up on you. Or you wouldn't even be listening right now. So Yeshua says, come, receive me. Invite him into your heart. His sacrifice, he was the suffering. He suffered more than any of us ever can imagine, ever could. He is the suffering servant, so he can relate. He is the suffering Messiah of Isaiah chapter 53. Say, Jesus, Yeshua, I want to know you. I want to know, I want to accept you. No matter what your background, receive him. And if you're praying, let us know. Contact us. If you're watching, contact us. We'll contact you back. Come up here, pray with someone. If you're here today, come and pray with someone after the service. They'll pray with, they'll be up here. They're wonderful, loving people that will, someone will love it, pray with you and agree with you. And we praise you. Thank you. B'Shem Yeshua. Yivrech echa Adonai v'yishmorecha Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach Sar HaShalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his shalom. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the ruler of peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom.